And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. At that time, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for forty days and forty nights, and afterwards he was hungry. The tempter approached him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, Command that these stones become loaves of bread. He said a reply, It is written, One does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and made him stand on the parapet of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and with their hands they will support you, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Then the devil took him up to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their magnificence. And he said to him, all these things I shall give to you, if you will prostrate yourself and worship me. At this, Jesus said to him, Get away, Satan. It is written, The Lord your God shall you worship, and him alone shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. What's most real to you? Like, when you're in quiet moments where you're not doing anything else, at least it requires much attention flipping on the TV, or maybe driving, not really listening to the radio or the podcast or whatever, and your brain kind of shifts down into default, what are the things that are most real to you then? What are the things when you find yourself sitting in your chair at home or lying in bed at night that you can't not think about? They're just so, so built in. The Lord says, where your treasure is, there also will your heart be. I find where my mind is, my actions are pretty quick to follow, and so therefore, at some point, my heart's going to get there. I remember when I was a young priest in St. Louis, I used to visit this old woman who lived right around the corner from the parish, and she was a very large lady, um, couldn't leave the house anymore. Uh, I'd bring her communion on first Fridays. Um, she was from Ukraine. And she had a chair in front of the TV and then like a dorm fridge. And every time you went, no matter what, she'd pop open that fridge and she'd offer you a sandwich. Ham salad during the week, tuna salad on Fridays. 
And it didn't matter the time of day. There was always a sandwich. And if you didn't eat it, you got in trouble. <laughs> I, I was at least a year in to this weekly visit cycle. I finally said to her, Yana, what's with the sandwiches? She said, when I was a kid, my family got sent to a gulag. We didn't know if we'd have food for seven years. When I finally made it to this country, I promised myself I was never going to wonder where my next meal was coming from ever again. Now, you understand the trauma, right? You get why a person who's been without food suddenly gets real concerned about food. But this is clearly a distortion, right? Most of that food had to go to waste, and much of it was, at a certain point, not good for her anymore. The anxiety actually produced a physical effect that wound up probably hurting her worse physically than the temporary periods of starvation had. For her, the thing that was most real pretty much of the time was food. Ran her life. Ultimately, in some ways, led to her death. This is not fat shaming. I've got my own stuff to work on here too. But it's worth reflecting on at the beginning of Lent, a period of fasting when we imitate and participate in the Lord's own fast in the desert. At that time, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert. This is important. We can't make our own Lent. Oftentimes, that's the play. Well, I know I need to work on X, Y, Z, and so I'm going to use this as a chance to, to spiritually make up for the New Year's resolutions I've already failed on. If we got a problem, it's not wrong to work on it, but you can't run your Lent. If you want it to be effective, you have to do what Jesus did. Jesus didn't take himself out to the desert. The Spirit led him, drew him, the verb's more forceful than that. It's like chased him into the desert. Why? To be tempted by the devil. Why on earth would God want to put us in a position where we can be tempted? I don't know about you. Here's my experience of temptation personally and kind of vicariously through probably 95% of people to walk through that door. Most of us are seldom unaware of when we're in a moment of temptation. That becomes pretty clear pretty quickly. We know there's something there, and maybe we want it and maybe we don't, but we know we're in the danger zone. Tom Cruise just flew over our head. The problem is, if I'm weak, if I'm tired, if I'm angry, if I'm distracted, if something, anything really other than God is the most present thing to me, the most real thing to me. My week is so stinking weak, I am gonna fail every time. Just almost invariably. If I'm weak or tired or distracted, if I've got my head or my heart fixed on something other than God, I am gonna fail almost every single time. So why does God want to put me in a position where I'm gonna fail over and over and over again? Did you ever get good at anything? How'd you do that? By failing over and over and over again. Oh, Father, the season of sin? Not necessarily. 
But the reason for going out into the desert is to get rid of the distractions. If hunger is leading you to sin, then the way to conquer your hunger is get rid of everything but the hunger and face it head on. And that's what he does. And in light of that, knowing that deep gnawing hunger in the pit of his stomach, he can say, no, I want the food. But the answer is no. My sister very wisely said to me one time when starting a new diet, I wish I could just want to not want the cake. But that's where the problem is. It's in our will. I'm not saying every problem with temptation is always and only a matter of willpower, but it is in our will. It's in our wanting faculty, the part of us that wants. We want the wrong stuff or the right stuff, but too much of it or at the wrong time or out of order. And because I can't trust my will because it gets me into so much trouble, I got to put constraints on my will. I got to focus and direct my feelings so I don't get myself into trouble. That's why we have rules for children because they're irrational and they can't do this on their own. Probably should have more rules for some adults. Same reason. I mean, we joke about it in the house between Father Nick and I, but that dog will do anything for a treat. Like, he would do all kinds of immoral things for treats if we'd let him, if he had the capacity to do immoral things. But, but he's governed entirely by his passions. He doesn't have the ability. This is, this is, like, probably the most important difference between me and my dog. He lacks the ability to say, I would like that, but I am saying no to that for the sake of some greater good later. Think about that for a minute. I would like that. I'm not saying I don't want it. I would like that, but I am choosing to say no for the sake of something else later. The ability to say no to ourselves is probably the hardest thing to learn and the most important thing we need to get to heaven. Why? Because God wants a bunch of self-hating religious people? No. But because we need to build good character, we need to be able to say no to ourselves when it counts so that we can say yes to something more, something bigger, something more real, more present than food or drink or sleep or story, more exciting than our favorite program, more engaging than the, the person at work who's distracting from our marriage, more, more important than my hopes or dreams for my kid. Because there is something bigger and more and realer than all that, and it is, in the end, the one who went out into the desert first, who draws us out to stand alongside him, to fast and to pray, and yes, to be tempted. It's okay to be tempted. You don't want to put yourself in a near occasion of sin. That's like fancy church talk for get yourself in a position where you're going to get into trouble. Yeah, that's dumb. Don't do that. But if you're weight training, if this is like, if this is training up for a marathon, which is what we're doing for Holy Week, then we should expect to hit ruts, to, 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 to hit walls in our own running, to, 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 to get to a place where we can't do any more. And that, friends, is not the unintended side effect. It's actually the goal. We need to get to the place where we cannot do it ourselves. Because the purpose of Lent is not to show that I can go the whole six weeks without coffee. 
It's not to prove to my wife that I really can give up beer that long. It's not to show my husband what... It's not. It's not. It's to finally be open to what God was trying to do the whole time. But I couldn't see. I couldn't hear. I couldn't feel because I was distracted by all this other stuff right in front of me. When it turned out, the realest thing, the truest thing, was inside me all along. That's why Mass during Lent is so important. I'm convinced it's why so many people start coming to daily Mass, even just for the six weeks, because they recognize something in me hums when something happens up here. And I long to be united to it, to be joined to it, to be a part of it. And when I am, for a while at least, everything works Everything's different. That's why those precious moments after Holy Communion, the traditional Thanksgiving, or just taking a few moments in the pew after Mass are so important. When the Lord himself is right there, blood and bone, in our gut, speaking to the most intimate part of us and drawing us to follow him, that we could withstand the devil and be made like him, And so conquer with him both sin and even death.